And for what it's worth, I want to thank God for your ministry. What a rocket ride to be part of this church with you. I'm just so thankful for you. So, um, hey, would you mind opening your Bibles? We do that every week, don't we? Would you mind opening your Bibles to 2 Timothy? And uh, if you're getting used to where 2 Timothy is, it's in the last 40 pages of the Bible. So it's near the back. And uh, again, we're studying 2 Timothy chapter 1 right now. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we um, have hopefully a black Bible near you in the seat rack. You can pull it out. I think it says NIV on the end. And you just pull it out and turn to page 832. And that should get you there to the place that we're going to look at today. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you of where we've been the last couple weeks. Um, We talked a couple weeks ago about being shallow fighters, that... God is calling us, like we say up here on the banner, to go after shallow Christianity in ourselves and also challenging each other to go after that as a church family. And uh, so we uh, talked about that and that one of the ways we can do that is, is to continue to learn how to love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. But we also talked about the fact that uh, when I finished sabbatical, I came back with this sense that While we need to continue doing that, we also need to prepare and get ready for times of testing. I didn't mean that to be spooky or freaky. Some of the ways that that impression was upon me will bear out whether or not I heard from God or just ate some bad pizza. But one of the things is is that we do know that this is a different time. That the covering that maybe has been there before is starting to come off. And just the way that people perceive Christianity is becoming different in our country. And uh, so uh, we, we need to get ready. And uh, so we're in this series. It just happened to already have planned a year ago to be in this letter, Second Timothy. So the timing just seems tremendous. We're calling this series Endure. You can see up here on the black banners here. And uh, the series sentence that we're going to use probably every, every week is this one. Let's put it up here on the screen. Would you mind reading it with me? And let's think about this together. When times of testing come, we must be ready to endure with Christ. Now, here's what I want you to to think about with me. How? How do we get ready? How do we prepare? I mean, that's the critical question, isn't it? And so uh, this letter is actually going to help us with that, this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. In fact, if you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see about this passage we're going to study together today. In this passage, we actually see how Paul prepares Timothy for times of testing. We see how Paul prepares Timothy for times of testing. You know, years ago, I was thinking about this, years ago, when my dad was the pastor of this church, he... Um, I often did first-person sermons. Have you ever heard of that? That's where someone talks like they're the person. And so and my dad had this way of doing it that was kind of fun. He would say, uh, this morning we've made special arrangements with heaven to have uh, so-and-so come and speak to us. And so uh, I'd like to introduce them to you now. And he would name the person. And then he would turn around, take off his glasses, sometimes put this headpiece on. And then he'd say, thank you, Pastor Gary. Thank you so much. And then that person would would basically give their story or explain the scripture in a kind of creative way. And I was thinking this morning, not about doing a first-person sermon, but what if we were able to ask Paul, Paul, God taught you so much. 
what if you could come today and show us what he taught you? What would you tell us? If we're trying to get ready for times of testing, what would it look like? I mean, can you spell it out in the most practical ways? And I think Paul would say, I could do that. And in this passage, I think he does. And here's one of the things I want to tell you. What I'm going to point out today in this passage isn't that new. I'm not going to talk to you about something you've never thought about before. I'm going to talk to you about something that, in many cases, many of you are already doing this. And I just want to tell you, I think it gives God great joy. You are, but sometimes we just need to do it with fresh intentionality. Amen? And so I want to talk about that. But as we talk about that, I want to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm honest with you about something, and that is this. Sometimes when I'm speaking, I know that, that you have conversations with me or God or someone else while you're listening to a message. I do that, right? You think and you, your questions come out. So some of you are here and you're thinking to yourself, well, of course, Paul, Paul could do that. Paul was a super Christian. I mean, makes sense. You know, he, he, he figured everything out. He was just an incredible person. Do you realize that Paul wasn't an incredible Christian at one point? God got a hold of him and taught him something. This letter is written 30 years. We just talked about 30 years. 30 years after Paul met Jesus. And for 30 years, Paul has been a Christian leader. But he wasn't always like that. So before we go any further, I want to share just a little. We shared some background last week. I want to share a little more background this week. After the last service, someone said to me, that was really helpful to understand who wrote this letter and who he was writing to and the context. And we saw last week that he's writing this letter from prison. Now, Paul had been in prison several times, but one of the times he is actually under house arrest. So he had some freedoms. And even though he was, you know, a guard was with him all the time, he could invite friends in. He could actually have some liberty to go about things a little differently. Not this time. This last imprisonment in his life was also in Rome, and this time he was chained to a guard. By the way, didn't you appreciate last week when the six people read the scripture to us? Wasn't that helpful? And one of the things that happened is, is that Nate, who was uh, uh, representing Paul up here uh, with, with the chains on, said to me uh, later, he said, you know, man, by the third service, those chains were getting heavy. And here's the reason I bring that up. That was just for three services. Paul wore these for days. Paul is not writing this from some beach resort sipping lemonade. He is writing this out of a context that is very difficult. And I find great courage in that. And so what I want to do is just give this background. So first of all, do you know, some of you do, what Paul was like before he met Jesus? He talks about this in his first letter to Timothy. So let's look at it on the screen. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, that means that I spoke against and a persecutor, and a violent man. If you read about this in other places, he arrested Christians. He had them beaten. He, had, he tried to get information out of them to turn more Christians over. And he even stood there approvingly while Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death. This guy had a background. He had a past. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When I was listening to the choir singing, I have a testimony. Paul had a testimony. And we have a testimony not because of who we are, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ and his work in our lives that is so undeserved and so abundant and so good. We have a testimony we can share with other people and say, I needed Jesus too. And he met me. And that's why I praise him. Now to him, to him be all the praise, all the credit. So Paul had this testimony. Then he meets Christ on the Damascus Road. You can read about that in Acts 9. And he begins serving Christ right away. Right away. He begins to tell other people, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know what he can do in your life? I'm a total example of someone who was far from God, even though I was very religious. He won me over. And man, now I'm a different person. And that began to happen. And what happened over the next 30 years, though, is that in order to go on these mission trips to start churches and bring Jesus to places that had never been before, he paid a price. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and following, look at what he says. He talks about this. Five times I received from the Jewish leaders the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I can hear Jaws music playing in the background. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, non-Jews, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches God's allowed me to plant. Wow. This guy has been through it. When we talk about times of testing, it may still be theory for us. It was real life for Paul. So Paul talks about this, and now he writes this letter to Timothy. But how did he meet Timothy? Do you know the background on that? Timothy actually grew up in a town called Lystra. And we're told in the book of Acts that Paul made at least three, maybe four, missionary journeys. On the very first missionary journey, when he left Antioch to go out to these places, um, he came to these different places. Now think about this, friends. Jesus had never been heard of before in these places. And he didn't always... He was not always well-received. So Paul, in Acts 14, we read about this first trip that he makes through this region. It says, then some Jews. I want to make sure I clarify this, friends. When the scripture refers to that, it's not saying all Jews. It's saying some Jewish people that were antagonistic to the Christian faith. 
Okay, some Jewish leaders. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Now this next phrase won't take long to read, but I bet it took a while to happen. They stoned Paul. They stoned him and dragged him outside the city. Remember when he said, I was pelted with rocks, I was pelted with stones? Thinking he was dead. Did they do a pretty good job? They thought he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, <laughs> this sentence I can never read without thinking about this guy. He got up and went back into the city. Paul, what are you doing? The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to, let's read this last phrase, remain true to the faith. So, they said this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They said, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Wow. Now, I don't know exactly if Timothy witnessed that stoning. In a town that size, that was probably a pretty big deal. So probably most people in that town witnessed it. They're probably going, whoa, remind me not to follow that Jesus guy. Or if I'm going to follow him, remind me to be serious about it. And what happened is, is that Timothy, somewhere along the line, met Jesus. Most scholars believe he's around 20 years old or late teens when that happened. And then for the next 15 years, he travels with Paul. We'll talk about that in Acts 16. Just a couple more verses here. Look at these, Acts 16, 1 and 2. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra. This is the second time he's come back there, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, Timothy. So here was a believer, and he began to travel with Paul, and they went through all kinds of experiences together. Now Paul writes this letter with just a few weeks or a few months of his life left. Most scholars believe that within a few weeks or a few months after writing this, he would be beheaded at the same time that Peter would be crucified. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, he was not crucified. He was beheaded. And when that happened, he wrote this letter right before it happened as his last will and testament to build in and hand the baton to his younger associate, 15 years younger, Timothy. And this letter is all about that. Now, what a background. And here's what I want you to see if you're following along in the notes, is that Paul shares what's crossing the ticker of his heart and mind. Paul shares what's crossing the ticker of his heart and mind. I often use that phrase, you know, where we talk about the fact that how does God speak to us today? Through his spirit and through his word. But is it an audible voice? Uh, not most of the time. Most of the time he speaks to us through the ordinary processes of our mind. And that doesn't mean that every thought we have is from God. That doesn't mean that every time we think this thought, we have to say, God told me. None of that. I'm not talking about that. We have to make sure it's in line with the scripture and in line with God's character. But here's the thing. We all know when God's talking to us and when it's just us thinking, don't we? I've told before how when I was first married, the Lord had let this thought go across my mind when I saw my wife washing the dishes one night. Jeff, pick up the towel. You know how I knew that wasn't me? You guys don't have to laugh that quick. <laughs> we just knew. You, I knew. I knew exactly that that was the Lord. And across the ticker of his mind. And here's what Paul's saying is, this many years later, I want to tell you what's going across the ticker of my mind as I sit here chained in prison. And what I'm going to tell you in this letter, he says, 
not only is going to help you, Timothy, get prepared, but for whoever will read this in the years to come, it will be helpful to you as you too seek to prepare yourself and help other people get prepared for whatever may come. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to teach us this morning. Now, Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness just to know the way you took a guy like Paul and you changed his life and you taught him how to live the Christian life so he could teach others. Lord, please do it again. Thank you that you can teach us no matter how far we've been from you. Whether we've had a Christian background or not, thank you that you can bring us along. And we pray that for your name's sake, you would glorify yourself today and teach us from your word. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so the question is, how does uh, Paul prepare Timothy for times of testing? If you're looking at the two big subheadings there, or the two big headings, then here's, here was, first of all, Paul prays for Timothy, if you want to fill that in. Paul prays for Timothy. And the second heading there, Paul reminds Timothy. Paul prays for Timothy, and Paul reminds Timothy. We see how Paul prays for Timothy in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1, and we see how Paul reminds Timothy in verses 6 and 7. Now, I'm going to start reading verses 3 through 5, but later I want you to be ready to read aloud with me off the notes from the gray boxes there so we can all read from the same translation, verse 6 and 7. Are you ready to go? First of all, here's what we see. Paul prays for Timothy. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also, Timothy. So the first thing I want you to see in his prayer, you know, some of you say, okay, if I'm going to actually pray for other people as we prepare for times of testing, like how would I do it? Like what would I say? What would I want to have going across the ticker of my mind when I pray? What would that look like? Well, the first thing that he, no he points out here, I want you to notice, this really stood out to me this week. If you're following along, serving God with a clear conscience. Serving God with a clear conscience. When we pray for people, we are serving God. But the question is, are we serving him with a clear conscience? I think all of us know what it's like to walk into a room and hear people sing about Jesus here and sometimes to think about praying to God. And all of us know what it's like to have a guilty conscience. All of us know what it's like how a guilty conscience or an unclear conscience can actually just stop us or make us timid or make us ashamed or make us go, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't pray. And Paul says, look, if anybody's got a past, I have a past. If anybody should have their conscience riddle them, I should because of my past. But in Jesus Christ, I discovered that Jesus paid for every sin of mine. Those have been taken care of. Those have been taken care of. But now, on a daily basis, I need to make sure I keep my conscience clear. That means the conscience is what God's put in every human being as a radar system to actually alert us to danger, to alert us about things that might pull us away from God or put us on a wrong road. And when that alarm of our conscience is going off, we need to pay attention to that. 
The Bible says that if we don't keep our conscience clear, we can actually get to a place where we ignore our conscience or we sear our conscience so much that it actually gets knocked out like lightning knocks out a TV. And so, friends, we need to be people like that. Look at what he says in Acts 24, verse 16. Let's read this together. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. What he means is this, is that, you know, I I know some people have overactive consciences. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just that understandable time when all of a sudden the Lord says, I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with this attitude, this action. I want to talk to you about the patterns that you're in lately and he just alerts us, then at that point, what do we do? Paul says, what I would do is I would say, Lord, I want to confess that to you right now, not run from you, or I just act ashamed or feel bad about the fact that that happened. I want to give it to you. Would you cleanse my conscience? Would you clear my conscience so that's not blocking you and me? And would you help me walk around rather than just being dominated by that guilt and fear that I would be free, I'd have a clear conscience. God is ready to do that this morning. He is ready to do that at any moment that you and I find that we don't have a clear conscience. But Paul says, look, one of the things I'm doing right now while I'm praying for you is I'm serving God. That's what I've learned about myself. My purpose in life, I'm here to serve God, not myself. So I'm going to serve him by praying for you because I know he wants me to pray for you. And I want to do it with a clear conscience. But notice the second thing. He says, remembering him night and day. Paul remembers Timothy night and day. He's thanking God for him. He's thanking God for him. Now let's just say you walk out of here today and say, you know, okay, I'm going to practice this this week. I'm going to think about ways to pray for other people and not just think about my own concerns, although those might be valid. And so as I pray for other people and I go, "Uh, God, this is Jeff. Now what? What do I say next? Here's what I recommend. Thank you, God, for so-and-so. Thank you for them. You know, there's a famous verse in Philippians 1.3 where Paul actually says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank God every time I remember you. Now, you know, we can feel thankful, but we don't necessarily thank God. Paul thanks God. He goes, Timothy, I realize the whole reason you're even a follower of Christ is because of God's work in your life. I thank God for you. He made you. He met you. He's filled you. He's called you. I thank God for you. Every time I remember you in my prayers. Wow. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, this week I just found myself thanking God for you. I'm so glad you're in the family of God. I'm so glad you're a follower of Christ. Man, that's a powerful thing. Can you imagine Timothy getting this letter? Third thing is, notice, recalling his tears, he longs to see him. Recalling his tears, he longs to see him. Now, for most of us men, this gets a little awkward. Most of us have been schooled not to cry. What Paul brings up is a time that Timothy cried. And when when was this? Most believe it was the last time they were together when Paul was arrested and taken to Rome That meant that they got separated because he had left Timothy and Ephesus to be the pastor there and to keep doing the work that had gotten started and to make sure that Christ was being honored in that church. But Ephesus was a long way away from Rome. So when Paul gets arrested, he loses his freedom, and now he goes to Rome. I think Timothy went, no, I don't want to do this next chapter without you. I I can't imagine... What would happen in my life if you're not in my life? And I think he just, he may not have 
been loud. It just, tears started running down his face. And Paul says, right now while I'm praying for you, I remember that last time we were together. And I can still picture that. And I just want you to know it's mutual. I long to see you. You are a blessing in my life. I am so filled with gratitude every time I think of you, Timothy. I miss you. And I've listed out to the right in chapter 4, verses 9 and 21. He's going to say twice before this letter is over, do everything in your power to come be with me. Do everything you can. I hope you can come before winter. Come soon. Please. I need you. Wow. Sometimes when we pray for people, we can actually find ourselves missing them or actually appreciating them and thinking of their impact on our life. The last thing is, he's reminded of his living and sincere faith in Jesus. As Paul prays across the ticker of his mind, God allows him to remember how Timothy came to know Christ. And Timothy starts connecting the dots and he remembers, wait, before Timothy trusted Christ, his grandmother trusted Christ. And his mom trusted Christ there in that city where no one had heard of Christ before. The first people that started believing in Lystra were Lois and Eunice. And as they shared with their son and grandson, Timothy, he became a believer. As I faithfully preached what God had given me to preach about Jesus Christ, people responded. People gave their hearts to Christ. And you were three of them. And I'm reminded of that right now. And he says, your sincere faith that lives in you. Now, this is an interesting picture. The word sincere means genuine. It doesn't just mean good intentioned. It doesn't mean I'm trying hard. It means that it's genuine. The faith, even the faith that God works in us is a gift, isn't it? But he says, I'm, I'm reminded that God has done something so authentic, so genuine in you, it's not phony. It's not going to be one of those things that when hard times come, you bolt. Have you known the word sincere in Latin, what it means? It means without wax. And it comes from the picture of markets in smaller countries where they would sell uh, pottery. And so pottery, by its nature, usually may have some defects, but they didn't want to lose the opportunity to still sell it, so they put wax in those cracks. And by doing that, it makes the crack almost invisible. And the only way you could tell whether or not there were those defects or cracks is to go out into the sunlight and hold that pottery up and then you'd see the wax and then you'd see the cracks. And he says, Timothy, you are not someone who's a poser. You really have given your life to Jesus Christ and I can't thank God enough for your sincere faith. Now he prays about this. Do you notice that when he's praying, he's not looking for a feeling, he's thinking He's, he's, he's being thoughtful. You know, are you thoughtful as a follower of Christ? Like when we just sang those songs, you know, it's possible just to sing them and say, man, this feels good to sing this song. There's nothing wrong with that. I was thinking to myself, I love singing together with other believers. But at the same time, while we're thinking, here's the thoughts we should be thinking. Lord, I mean, I, I found myself just thinking about the people in the choir and just going, Lord, would you please encourage that person and that person, I don't know what they're going through right now, but I pray for them. And I thank God for them. Somehow you've been working in their life, and now they have a testimony, and they're singing praise to you. Would you please work in their life? Maybe it's a family member or a friend. These last few weeks since I've come back from sabbatical, I've had an opportunity to pray with and pray for a number of people. Sometimes situations that are so overwhelming, 
Some of you are in situations where it is absolutely as tough as what Paul was going through. And so what do I pray? I don't have some fancy prayer. I just go, Lord, right now, I cry out to you for this person. In our total desperation, in our total weakness, we don't know what to do, but we know that the best thing to do is to turn to you and to pray for them. And I don't know exactly how it works, God. I don't understand electricity. But somehow you had taught Paul that as he would pray for Timothy, you would take that prayer from Timothy's heart and lips and you would take it from Paul's heart and lips and you would take it to Timothy's situation in his life and you would activate something. You would do something in that prayer. And Paul prayed for people because he knew that was one of the most valuable ways to serve God. And when you and I become Christians, you know what the biggest change is? Is not only does he turn us outward where now we see Jesus and how great he is, but also he turns us outward so we care about other people and not just ourselves. Paul is in this prison and he should be feeling sorry for himself. He should be dealing just with his situation. Wouldn't you say that's demanding enough? But all his life he had learned to say, no, 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 no. No, he did this. He gave me a testimony, not just for myself, but for other people. How can I pray for you? How can I strengthen you? How can I encourage you? And he prayed for Timothy. And I bet when Timothy got this letter, and I bet in the months that followed when he remembered how Paul had been beheaded, he remembered those prayers. And he said, God, thank you for people that have prayed for me. It's where I am today in large part. Now help me be the generation that prays for the next generation. Praise God. I am only standing here, friends. That was a little awkward for me, those 30 years. Because I told you a few weeks ago, I almost quit several times. But so many of you have prayed for me. And I don't think until heaven will know how important that is. But I want to do it now. And I want to serve the Lord that way to you. He can use you. You may say, I, I'm a terrible prayer. It's not your words as much as your heart. And he knows your heart. And so pray your heart to him and pray for other people. What if we became a church that even more than we already do became this? Can you imagine the powerhouse of a church God can make us if we'll obey him? The second thing he does is Paul reminds Timothy. Paul reminds Timothy. And I want to ask you in just a moment to read verse 6 and 7, but I want to ask you something. Did what I just talked to you about, had you ever heard anybody say pray for somebody else before? That wasn't new information, was it? But I had someone come up to me after the last service and said, I needed that reminder because I've stopped praying for my wayward kids. I've lost heart. They're so hardened. And my prayer seems so ineffective. Thank you for reminding me to keep praying. Even though I don't understand what's going on, and even though I may not be able to see it, I'm going to keep doing that. And those reminders. I love this quote. The world does not need to be informed so much as it needs to be reminded. And the truth is, is think about this. If we don't remember something, it can't help us. So it's when we're reminded and it's active in our minds that now it can become powerful. So Paul says, okay, 
For this reason, I just talked about your sincere faith and all that God's done in your life and how he's called you. For this reason, I want to remind you of something. So let's read it, verse 6 and 7. Let's read it together in those gray boxes, full voice. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Next verse. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Okay, Timothy, I'm passing the baton to you, yes. I may be going out of the picture here on earth, but here's what I want to do. I want to remind you with all the power I can, something that you may tend to forget when it gets tough. And here's what it is. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Fan it into flame. So if you're following along in the notes, Paul reminds Timothy to give himself to fan in the flame the gift in him. Paul reminds Timothy to give himself, to fan into flame the gift in him. When you think about fanning into flame, what do you think about? What goes across the ticker of your mind? What comes to mind? I asked a friend this this week, and he says, I think of a campfire. Now, first of all, I just want to say, isn't it cool how the Bible takes everyday examples that we can understand to help us live the Christian life? So he says, you know, you've seen what happens to fires. They start, they're really bright, but some fires, they die down and they never get tended to again. And so they just gradually get less and less powerful. But if someone comes up and begins to blow on it and begins to cooperate with that and begins to fan it in a flame, oh my goodness, what a difference in that flame. So he says this, look, I want to remind you that there's a part for you to play. And you're going to be tempted when times get tough to say, okay, now's the time to lay off. Now's the time to circle the wagons and wait for Jesus to come. He says, don't do that. Don't cycle back. One of the most important things my parents taught me in life was this, that whatever you do, give yourself wholeheartedly to it. Is it not true in the Christian life that as people become more and more critical of our faith, it'd just be easier to go, well, I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to be a nominal Christian. I'm not getting more serious about giving myself to Jesus. Isn't that true? Paul says, don't make that mistake. I want to remind you of why Jesus came into your life is so you and he could be wholehearted together. And I want you to fan it in a flame. I want you to give yourself to the ministry God's given you. I want you to serve God with your whole heart, not just part of you. This week, I um, was texting with my mom. Mom, I talk a lot about dad. You have prayed for me more than any other person I know. Thank you. But I was asking mom, and she was just texting me and saying, you know, last Sunday was powerful for me to hear 2 Timothy. So I asked her what stood out to her. and One of the phrases she said was that fan into flame one. So I said, well, what, what does it mean to you? She said, well, I was thinking about when Steve preached this summer in Song of Solomon, how in order for us to keep a romance alive in a marriage, you know, we need to put wood on the fire so that it continues to burn brightly. And then if we don't put wood on the fire, then it can die down. And I was thinking to myself, that's a great picture you know how we fan into flame? Not just by giving a part of ourselves to the Lord. We give our whole self to the Lord and he sets us on fire. He controls our lives. 
It's not just a Sunday morning relationship, friends. This is every day saying, Lord, how can I do this with you? How can I offer myself to you instead of holding back or trying to keep a peace for myself? Lord, how can I fan into flame this gift you've put in me? Oh, man, it's so powerful. I asked some friends this week, how do you fan into flame? Several people said, well, I asked the Lord, help fan into flame what you've already put in me. Another person says, when I read the scripture so many times, he fills me back up with how he thinks. Another person said, when I sing worship to God, it gets my focus on him. Another person said, when I actually serve somebody else instead of thinking about myself, it builds that flame up. Another person said, when I actually share Jesus Christ with someone or at least pray for the opportunity, it fans into flame my relationship with him. And Paul says, that's what I want to remind you to do. No matter what times of testing come your way, they may be different kinds. They may be mild persecution. They may be a crisis or a tragedy in your life. But whatever comes your way, fan it into flame. Do not let it die down. Give yourself to Christ fully. So what is the gift of God? If you're following along in the notes, the gift of God, in part, but really is the essence of this, is the Holy Spirit in every believer. The gift of God is the Holy Spirit in every believer. Now, I don't have time to spend along on this, but if you remember Peter, when he was asked by some people who were cut to the heart, what should we do? How should we respond to God? He says, repent. Change your mind about living your own way and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your families and for all who are far off. Wow, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now some of us may be here today and the only thing we know about the Holy Spirit scares us. But Jesus, when he was getting ready to go to the cross, said, I want you to know the Father and I are going to send you the best possible gift we could ever send you. And that is the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of him. He's just like me. In fact, he's sometimes called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has been given. He now dwells in every believer. When you trusted Christ, when you were born again, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And Paul says, well, then what's this idea of, you know, through the laying out of my hands? Again, throughout the scriptures, we see that sometimes God used the leaders to commission people for a specific gift. Paul, uh, Timothy had the gift of being a pastor. And so in many ways, what he's saying is, it's not just the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in you. It's also the gift of the Holy Spirit that he brought with him. I want you to fan into flame both your relationship with him and what he's gifted you to do. This morning as I walked in, I thought about all of us that were going to be part of this service, that were going to be in some way, hopefully influencing what you thought about Jesus. So I said to the choir, the praise team, those with the board, I said, what if this morning we just freshly give abilities and gifts God's given us to sing, praise, teach, whatever. Let's freshly offer them to him so that we fan those into flame. They might help other people and not just glorify ourselves. It's an incredible way to live, and you can do that. What if you woke up each morning and said, this morning, God, help me not to just, like, drift through the day. Help me, Lord, to be on fire with you, to serve whoever you ask me to serve. So he goes on and says, look, the reason I want to remind you this is because the Holy Spirit that God's given will never give you the spirit of fear or of timidity. What's the natural thing for any of us to feel when times of testing come? To be afraid, right? And I don't think there's anything abnormal or unnatural about being afraid. I think that's a proper reaction 
when we read some of these things, right? But if we stay afraid, if we're dominated by fear, that is not from the Holy Spirit. And what he wants to do is he wants to give us a different ability to live in the circumstances than we would in our own power. So the Bible says he already has given us what we need. The question is, will we fan it into flame and live and cooperate with him? So look what it says. His spirit gives power, first power, to serve. He says, but his spirit has not given us the spirit to be timid, but power. Now what's power mean? You know, we've all seen power misused. But that's not the kind of power the Holy Spirit gives. The power the Holy Spirit gives is power for service, D.L. Moody said. I love the fact that we can do things in our own power or we can do things in the Holy Spirit's power. And I don't know if you're learning about this. I'm learning as much as I can about this. Years ago, I had to interview a pastor who was much older than me and had a lot more experience than me. And I'll never forget what he said. I said, what have you learned? He said, well, the first 10 years I was a pastor, I would call myself a Christian hotshot. I tried to impress everybody in my own energy, my human energy. And he said, the truth is I was more shot than hot. And the truth is, you and I will be more shot than hot if we try and operate outside of the Holy Spirit's power. So he wants us to be ready to serve. He also, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. You'll, you'll point to other people. You'll serve other people. That's what happens when his power works in us. And the second thing is love. Love to build others up. Love to build others up. You know what the, Jesus said about the last days? He said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. Anybody relate to that? It gets scary to love people, doesn't it? He's even going to give us power to love our enemies. That's love of another kind, friends. And when you see that working in someone else's life, you can always trace it back to the work of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is self-discipline. Some of you memorize this verse this way. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. This idea of self-discipline or sound mind is this. It means that when things get wacky, we keep our heads. I love this. Chapter 4, verse 5, he's actually going to say to Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Let what the Holy Spirit has already given you control you so that you say self-discipline, so that you have a sound mind, that you do not panic, that you do not fear, and let your mind run away with fear, but instead be controlled by God and what he says and what he can do. And that's what he's given us. Years ago, when I was out in Iowa, a woman who was like a second mother to me would pray for me every day, but she often could say things to me that were so helpful, reminders, if you will. And one of the most powerful reminders, she's in heaven now, but one of the most powerful reminders she said to me in those days was this, Jeff, don't forget where your power comes from. Why did she say that to me? Because when I forget where my power comes from, it's so different. And she knew my tendency to become proud or self-reliant or caught up and distracted by so many things. I needed that reminder. It was humble and loving. And maybe you do too. One of the reasons we gather on Sunday mornings is to remind each other what we forget. To remind ourselves what God says in a world that says it's not true. 
So we need that, don't we? So as we close, to prepare for times of testing, here's just one idea this week that you could consider. Here's, here's the prayer. Lord, show me who I can pray for and lovingly remind. When I've thought about praying for people and I've tried to be led by the Lord and serve his purposes instead of just serve my own, I've often asked two questions. Lord, who do you want me to pray for today? And how should I pray so that it's in line with what you're already doing or want to do in their life? And they may be a non-Christian or they may be a Christian. But Lord, who do you want me to pray for and how do you want me to pray? So up here on the screen, you'll see this prayer. Lord, thank you for blank and their genuine faith in you. And whoever you may think of, if they don't have a genuine faith in Christ yet, what's the best thing to do? Lord, they don't yet have a genuine faith in you, but would you help them get there? Remind them how your Holy Spirit can give them power, love, and self-discipline. And somehow use our prayers as a church family to prepare both of us for times of testing. In Jesus' strong name, amen. So for just a few moments, would you bow your head? Maybe you want to look around at the person sitting near you, some people sitting near you, and just say, Lord, who do you want me to put in that blank? And then just pray that prayer. And if they're not a Christian, I told you how you can pray. If they are, pray for them. Let's pray for each other. I think God loves it when we do what we just did. So now I want to pray for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for your sincere faith in Christ, so many of you. And I thank God for those that are here that don't yet have a sincere faith, but you're here and you're open and you're listening. And uh, at the end of the services, we always have people down front to pray with you or talk with you about a spiritual decision you might need to make. But now let me pray for you. Now, Lord, I don't know how it works, but I know you work when we pray. So it's my desire to serve you and your purposes in the world by praying for these brothers and sisters who so many times have also prayed for me. Now, Lord, use our prayers somehow to prepare us for times of testing. And as we acknowledge you, bring across the ticker of our mind those things that we forget that would help us face any time of testing with you and your power and your love and your self-discipline. For Jesus' sake and for his glory, amen. Bless you.